I'm Nick Abrahams, and welcome to Web3, From Mystery to Main Street, the podcast where we talk about how technologies like crypto, DeFi, NFTs, and the metaverse are being successfully embraced by mainstream businesses. Well, welcome, everyone. I am delighted to be joined today by Roy Hugh, who's the founder at Pella. Roy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Nick. Uh, it's pleasures on mine. <laughs> very kind. Well, Roy, we've known each other for for a very long time. We sort of go all the way back to uh, to dot com days, almost. Um, so you've you've obviously been an incredibly successful serial entrepreneur. Uh, maybe a little backstory, or you know, the 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 Roy story. How did you get? How did you get to where you are now with Pella being, you know, one of the key technology service providers to the, particularly the NFT world? Yeah, interesting question. Um, well, I, I don't think I am that successful, uh, but uh, I, I think I definitely have the scars to show for it. Um, <laughs> you've, had a lot of, you've had a number of businesses for sure. That's right. That's right. And, and I think every uh, failure or experience makes you a little bit stronger for the next journey, right? <laughs> that's so um, I will consider myself as an engineer. Um, okay. I have a computer science background and uh, always super fascinated about technology, emerging technology, cutting edge technologies, right? Um, so I have this belief of um, instead of waiting for something to happen, uh, you should you know, make it happen. You should participate. Um, there's no one better than you try to make things happen. So I think that's the... Um, common element uh, with a lot of things that I have done over the years. Uh, I think originally when uh, you and I met Nick, uh, we were building a video gaming uh, social network. And that was really before the word uh, social networks exist, right? So um, connecting people, adding gamification elements, introducing new media, the whole Web2 uh, days. And that was really exciting and interesting. We just couldn't figure out how to monetize it. And, and I think today there's a whole different channel of monetization. Uh, enriching that community, uh, which I think eventually we'll, we'll definitely get to in, in the context of this call. And um, uh, over the years, um, I've certainly tried to uh, uh, make things happen rather than uh, waiting for things to happen. And that's actually uh, what came about in 2017 when uh, friends of mine asked me uh, if we can help them with a crypto uh, capability. Um, so um, I think even during the gaming days, uh, Bitcoins was around, so yeah. uh, I, I bought a few to uh, essentially incentivizing our community uh, administrators. Um, and uh, I've been um, super fascinated about the technology uh, from an infrastructure uh, technical application perspective. And when the ICO boom happened in 2017, we decided to uh, go full steam uh, ahead into this new craziness um, right. that I think hasn't really stopped um, yeah. uh, yet. Uh, really saw uh, crypto being the future of money, um, and that has um, kept uh, uh, it, it has definitely been really really exciting. And in twenty twenty one, when uh, again friends of mine uh, told me about NFTs, uh, suddenly that uh, light bulb moment um, switched on in terms of hey, crypto or uh, digital currency is the future of money. This is the future of things, yeah. and you use money to buy things. And it's so obvious, all of those problems that we had in terms of uh, trying to fractionalize real estate or uh, create uh, education certification or, you know, all those 
um, you know, non-fungible things that we're trying to do um, suddenly became a lot easier with the whole NFT technology. And hasn't like that craziness hasn't stopped yet. It just felt like the dot com boom again, the web two uh, boom again. You know that um, uh, excitement, that uh, energy uh, in the whole NFT space. Yeah, no, I agree entirely. It does. It does feel like that that boom time of you know web two boom. But I, I got I got to say, I think the difference is now. I can remember back then we would talk about a ten x outcome as being a pretty good outcome, and now. I've had meetings with founders over the last couple of weeks, and they're talking about a thousand x outcome. So, uh, you know, we've um, we've certainly moved the uh, moved the goalposts a lot. And you know, some of the businesses that um, even the the Australian sort of crypto style businesses um, have had those thousand x outcomes. So it is it is an incredibly exciting space. Um, let's ch- I'll drop into some detail about some of your recent projects. I recently had the pleasure of interviewing Ridley Plummer. Um, who on the show, he's the leader of the Australian Tennis Opens um, NFT project. And so you and the Pella team were involved in that. And I think they were they basically, you know, dropped 6,000 digital tennis balls and so forth. Great success. Probably one of the, the better um, NFT drops of any, you know, Web2 organisation in Australia. Could you give us a little bit of background? How were you involved and, and how did that project come about? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so we worked with a partner on uh, this particular project, um, and they uh, were a team of. Um, there are a team of very talented people with a lot of uh, fantastic ideas, and uh, Peller, uh, our team, uh, essentially um, formed this partnership to provide uh, more of a technical capability. Um, and in that equation, we bounced ideas with each other and um, spoke about feasibility and uh, what can be done with the technology and how, how we can push the envelope a little bit further to uh, deliver, um, you know, some of the craziness that uh, we, um, we managed to achieve. Um, and I think one of those um, elements in the blockchain um, NFT smart contracting world is once you deploy a piece of code, uh, you can't change it. And from a technical perspective, um, it is super, super difficult. You know, like uh, in the Web2 world, as you would say, every time you have a production deployment, you always prepare a window to for contingencies because nothing's ever perfect, right? You. It, um, you always plan for the unforeseen um, bugs or you know traffic and things like that. And uh, in this whole new NFT um, blockchain world, you deploy a piece of code and it has to work 100%. And that's um, pretty crazy. Wow. You wow. can't change the code after you've deployed yeah. it. And that's a um, we've learned a lot of lessons along the way, but uh, with the Australian Open project, it was a flawless execution. Um, and you don't see that very often. You know, you deploy something to production uh, in any way in the world, right? Like any uh, technical project, it just works perfectly, 100%. And um, that's um, something we're really proud of. Um, and we've had a, um, we have a fantastic team to uh, support us to make that happen. Um, and it's really cool. It's, a, it's brilliant. I've never heard someone or, you know, a technologist talk about it in quite those terms before so where i end up in my discussions with technologists often is oh well that's what the smart contract does and you know it'll be in the smart contract and i've always wondered that um you know that they've it's got to be a lot of coding that goes on because we're talking about 
multiple eventualities or multiple possible outcomes of any particular thing. So actually going through all of those possible outcomes and coding for them must be incredibly difficult. And maybe maybe to give folks, because I know um, with the Tennis Open, there was a lot of, you know, fascinating and very novel things. And also with NFTs, the whole proposition now about giving the NFT some utility. And I think that, you know, they had this great um, thing where if you owned a little piece of, an, you know, a, a, a notional tennis court and if the ball of a particular match hit your piece of the court then you got that match ball and so forth, what is the, what's the process for, you know, maybe if, you know, if there's someone in the audience right at the moment that's sitting in the marketing department of a big Web2 type company saying, yeah, we should get into the NFT space. How does that work in terms of what is, you know, what is the the sort of the big picture and who who, who generates that idea? And then I guess your team come up with what's the art of the possible. How, how does that all come together? Yeah, it's a um, it's a different difficult uh, formula, right? Because everybody have different incentives, different KPIs, and different you know um, things that they want to do with their lives. So. Uh, unfortunately, there isn't a golden rule to um, uh, for a, a larger corporation. Um, I, I would probably uh, consider two approaches. Uh, one is uh, jumping in. Um, let's uh, do something small uh, that you can fail, and it's okay to fail and participate and um, try to understand it, because. Um, We've uh, spoken to uh, many people that uh, want to participate in the technology, but they've never minted a NFT or own an NFT, right? I think uh, that participation um, by you know doing it with your own uh, hobby collections or uh, creating a very small project, um, whether if it's uh, selling one NFT at a test or selling ten NFTs at a test, uh, something that doesn't impact the overall. Um, corporate brand, you know, uh, purely label it as a test, uh, could help you or people around you or the board or, you know, decision makers to have a much better understanding of the process. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's, yeah. And, and just how does it work? Um, and, and I think that's great advice too. I mean, I think, you know, and we've even seen, you know, folks like PwC and KPMG, you know, buying NFTs or, uh, you know, buying places in the, um, uh, you know, in Decentraland and Sandbox and so forth. So I think I think we're starting to see organisations get that idea of, you know, if we want to be in the Web3 world, we need to to actually take some risks and it's, um, it is difficult. Just um, maybe from a, from a technical point of view without going too deep into it, what actually have, let's say you want to do an NFT drop. So, so what does that look like? Do you just, you know, do you get the, the code off the shelf? Um, you know, do, is it, is it relatively simple? Is there a smart contract format you can just grab? What's what's the process that you go through? Uh, sure, um, uh, you're right. There are lots of uh, libraries and standards out there which you can reuse, um, and that provides a level of confidence when you deploy the uh, smart contract because it's been tested uh, hundreds of times in the past, and therefore the chance of uh, something fail is relatively low. Uh, there are also, you know, uh, fairly large public uh, platforms which you can participate that already has that process better down. So OpenSea, Nifty, or even I think Shopify is introducing NFT mating capabilities. Um, 
But um, uh, every project that we do, we try to push the envelope a bit. Um, so with that def uh, default framework, um, it's great, but we want to do something more. And those are the things that nobody has done before. And uh, that's what makes um, us uh, super excited about uh, coming to work every day and challenging the norm. Um, uh, but also, uh, I think innovation is super critical uh, in this industry. That's our essentially competitive age. Yeah. And I mean, I think that innovation aspect is critical because I think, you know, what we're starting to see now is there's been a flood of copycat NFTs hit the market and, and the audience is sort of, you know, I think they need more and that's why that utility aspect um, of NFTs is so important. I mean, do you have a sense of, and, and not, not asking you to sort of reveal, you know, your price list or anything like that, but you know, for a for a Web two organization that wants to do, I mean, let's say just you know a sort of a almost like a proof of concept, I guess, a sort of small project. What, how much money would should they be budgeting in terms of external support for that? Is it sort of mm. hundreds of thousands of dollars? What's the what's the um, sort of ballpark? Yeah, um, I will say hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, Ten thousand dollars would be a good starting point, right? Um, there are uh, free solutions out there. So you can certainly get a internal resource, uh, dedicate you know, a couple of weeks to learn about technology and get something online. Uh, there are certainly offshore resourcing, which you can consider uh, that are in the um, range of thousands of dollars, which can take a WordPress site or whatever it is, add some plugins, deploy some existing contracts to, um, to get something off the ground. Um, but for a larger uh, proof of con of concept and doing it right, you know, you need to have many different uh, capabilities in that yeah. equation. You need to have uh, tried to build a online presence, uh, tell the story, have good copywriters, have great designers, have great UX, um, so on and so forth. So just on top of the pure technology aspect, there are many other costs that you have to stack up to make the project successful. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, not the least of which is things like building a uh, you know a following on Discord and so forth. I mean, one of the um, one of the sporting codes had a bit of a problem just recently with their their drop where they they hadn't sort of I guess um, uh, put together their Discord channel correctly. So there was a few issues w with that. Um, so it, it does seem like there's a you know a, on one view of it there's the technology, but there's as you say there's all these layers of support that you need. And so because um, with folks who come to me to talk about that, you know, I'm I'm never super excited about people just doing it themselves because it's um, you know there's such a such a skill set to it, and you know you want it to be successful. And um, I guess if what would your um, just sort of uh, we'll leave this uh, um, for the Web two organisations, but if they are looking to get into into Web three via an NFT project. You know, what would be what would be sort of your suggestions to them if they want to do something small and so forth? Should they, you know, do they call up? Do they go through their marketing agency? How how would they? How should they think about sort of the first steps and and I guess critical critical things that they should think about in order to have a successful NFT project? Yeah, um, as I was saying, maybe uh, there are two angles with it, and uh, the first one being uh, a lot of the consultancy. Um, the agencies uh, are building that capability. So it'd be cool to talk to somebody in this industry 
um, that's able to execute a project. Um, and the other direction is more of a, let's leave all of our um, baggage at the door. Let's uh, completely rethink uh, what does the future look like? And that's a really, really exciting um, uh, picture, right? Like, uh, I, I think uh, the Henry Ford quote is, if I listen to my customers, I'll just build a faster horse um, right. where yeah. they, I, I want to build a car. Uh, I think uh, the future uh, is inevitably uh, more and more um, NFT, uh, crypto uh, entangled, and that uh, new value system uh, is changing. In the, um, I, I guess, more of a metaverse world, uh, more of a social media will be changing towards more uh, that you can have better ownership and uh, that value going through uh, building a community uh, is flipping on its head. Um, and that's where it's uh, super exciting. You know, um, Instead of uh, selling a customer something, uh, making them line up that store, um, potentially they can... Uh, so. Uh, buy NFT, which shows that they are uh, your uh, truest fans, your most loyal fans, and potentially through the uh, commercial that's generated through the sale, they are uh, given uh, things over time that are exclusive to them, right? Um, I, and I think that high-level strategy uh, consulting element uh, should be considered first um, as a alternative approach than just jumping in. Yeah. Yeah, the... Um you know, you mentioned the word community, which comes up a lot in the in the metaverse and the NFT world and so forth, doesn't it? Which is, you know, build your you know, your Discord community, build your communities. And and so is the is the best use case for this or the best analogy for this is is sort of what we've had originally with, with loyalty programs. And so you've seen, you know, there's some wonderful loyalty programs out there. Um, but is this is this sort of like a are NFTs really just a, a massive expansion on the loyalty program idea? Um, I, I think uh, the technology is so um, wide, it can be used for many different purposes. Um, and yes, in a way, I think it will replace uh, membership. The concept of a, I have, uh, I can buy a membership, I can resell this membership, and every single uh, resell of this membership attracts a royalty for the uh, collective. Um, and uh, in a way, uh, you can recognize your most loyal customers uh, and potentially you can uh, accrue uh, points whilst you hold this uh, membership and these points um, can be represented as tokens of some kind, right? So that could be execution of NFTs. But NFTs could be, you know, applied to everything, so many other use cases, um, digital things or... Uh, your um, your education certification uh, or your um, your small ownership of that building down the block, yeah. you know, um, many of those things. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is um, slightly uh, slightly off off topic, I guess. But um, in terms of the use cases, one of the one of the ones that I've been uh, looking at recently, which I think is fantastic for NFTs, is particularly around information, our own personal data. And so there's some interesting um, organisations looking at, say, you know, with digital twinning of your own person and your own health data and that idea of protecting your health data and other data um, with an NFT and then 
that gives you control over it so you can then determine who gets to see it. Because right at the moment with data, the problem that I always have is that we, we hand it over, let's just say health data, we hand it over to our healthcare providers and then, you know, there's a we, we clicked an I agree around their privacy policy and so forth. But it's, we, we sort of lose, well, we do, we lose control over it. We hope that the folks who we give it to comply with their privacy policy, but we've never read them. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a lawyer. I, I never read those either. So I'm <laughs> everyone else, but just, we just happily click the I agree. Um, so the law has not been able to, to physically give us that control of information. But do you think it's possible using NFT like technology to actually, um, put a wrapper, you know, a technology wrapper around our information, which could then, you know, pursuant to a smart contract, allow us to determine who gets to look at that information? Yeah, I, I think uh, there are, um, I've definitely seen companies attempting to solve this problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally think uh, it's not a easy problem to solve, okay. uh, particularly uh, in the open uh, blockchain networks that we are predominantly used right. uh, today, uh, because all the information is public um, and it's accessible. And once you've given somebody access, uh, that information could be, uh, be very difficult to um, take away. Um, so uh, potentially, it's a um, it's an alternative uh, uh, network to what we currently use day to day. And uh, I think maybe towards the end of this year, when we have more uh, zero knowledge proof, uh, yeah. which is a type of technology which um, provides um, validation of data without exposing the data, a lot better than what we currently have. Uh, as a layer two solution with um, uh, very low transaction fees, very fast transaction speeds, uh, could uh, further broaden the uses of this technology. Uh, but yeah, um, NFTs is not a technology which is solve all of your problems. Uh, yeah. But I, I do think uh, it's a important, like the health data uh, thing is a um, important problem to solve. I'm just not sure about what technology to uh, to do it on as of today. Yeah. No, fantastic. Now, you've, um, I mean, you've worked on some fantastic projects. I guess um, maybe just looking at a couple of them. So Wall Street Bets and the their NFT drop. And so folks who are listening might remember Wall Street Bets as the uh, the Reddit forum uh, that pushed the game stock, game, game stop, stock up 600-odd percent, um, burning a bunch of the short sellers last year. Um, so fascinating Um Sort of gathering of people, if you like, and how do how are you involved with Wall Street Bets? Yeah, um, very similar uh, involvement from a uh, technology perspective. Um, not only uh, we were able to execute the uh, meeting uh, website, the uh, smart contract, uh, but also try to challenge uh, the uh, technical. Uh, envelope push that envelope a little bit further as well. Uh, in terms of we had um, in these uh, plans of moving all the art to on chain, so just like what the recent Cyberbroker uh, project did uh, in making all of the art into uh, SVG format, so type of vector based format so that can uh, live on a blockchain as opposed to lived uh, on a pointer, uh, so blockchain uh, points to a external file storage. Uh, IPFS solution where uh, a lot of the uh, technology resides today. 
uh, and also uh, doing some kind of uh, interesting Binance Smart Chain to Ethereum bridges. So you can pull assets over different blockchains. So uh, those are sort of the little innovations we uh, added to this project. Uh, but it's a uh, uh, it's a very fascinating project trying to experiment with DeFi. And uh, if you have these tokens, you can add additional yield to the DeFi elements that you conduct and things of that nature. It is, um, it, you know, just that, that mention of the, uh, you know, the tokens and DeFi. And I must say the, the, the tokenomics that is happening now, and, I, you know, I see it even in the transactions that we're working on where, you know, part of the purchase price for a business may be tokens and so forth, or, you're, you know, you're doing a fundraising um, and tokens are, you know, what the, what the investors are getting. And the tokenomics around it is is fascinating because you you effectively have to um, almost rethink what share ownership looks like in that in that space. So it's you know what what tokens are um, you know trigger anti dilution protections and you know what what tokens can and can't be issued into the future. I mean, do you do you see a lot of sort of talk around tokenomics and so forth in in your world? Is there a lot of sort of focus being put on that? Yeah, certainly. We're we're actually deploying that ERC twenty governance token today uh, oh, for well for, <laughs> for a, uh, here's one here's one Roy made earlier. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, not for ourselves, for a client client of ours, and uh, they're actually raising capital from a very well known VCs, um, and as a um, uh, as a uh, their percentage of their uh, allocation and uh, investment, they get uh, tokens, the equivalent uh, in tokens. So exactly the scenario that you were talking about. And uh, yeah, we're seeing uh, more and more every day. Um, and it's super interesting because you can uh, obtain liquidity on day one. Yeah. Um, oh. in individuals or founders or internal staff, you know, can, uh, I mean, you can implement locking periods, uh, which is hard locked <laughs> and there's nothing that you can do to unlock it. Because um, it's in the smart contract, right? Exactly. <laughs> it, it's technical. It's a piece of code, right? Yeah. There's you, you have to take down the whole Ethereum to take down that, right. you know, locking thing. So um, it it's binary. It's either true or not true. So yeah. if time passes this period, your tokens gets unlocked, right? Which replaces a lot of illegal contracts that I'm sure you've seen in, in your days, right? Um, and once the tokens are unlocked, you can you can send it to anybody around the world. Yeah. And you can uh, um, provide liquidity on a DeFi protocol like Uniswap or SushiSwap. Yeah. And anybody in the world can buy your tokens. So you can sell it to your friends, you can sell it to other investors. And um, that liquidity uh, is, I think, a uh, groundbreaking technology, which in a startup world, we're not seeing enough yet. But I think in the future, we'll see substantially more of it. Uh, I, I agree. I'm very... yeah. I, I mean, it's it's enormously challenging to me from a from a lawyer's perspective because um, you know we're very familiar with shares and shares have you know a whole whole raft of laws and so forth associated with them. And whereas when we're when we're helping organisations that are you know minting tokens or giving out tokens to investors, and we've done it where they've um, you know token option plans so where the employees get tokens either in addition to or instead of equity or shares. And I've got to say the employees are, far, you know, far, far keener on the tokens than they are on the equity because 
you know, you're giving equity in a in an unlisted company, so it's an illiquid asset. Whereas the tokens, um, you know, as you say, you can just go on a dex, and you know, once they vest, um, that they're immediately liquid. So it's incredibly exciting, and I think we, um, you know, for for many organisations, they can think about what are the options that they can do to create sort of another asset. You know, so we've. We understand cash, we understand shares, and now this idea of tokens and through tokenomics. Um, and what what about what's happening with Slumdoge? Is uh, what are you uh, what are you up to with uh, with those folks? Um, we uh, we're, we're just across so many different projects, and uh, that's <laughs> one of the earlier ones. Uh, Slumdoge was particularly interesting because uh, we um, I, I think the uh, founder promised uh, the community with an airdrop and um, airdrops are uh, it's a term terminology to give a nft or something else to the existing holders and uh, when you do a uh, airdrop uh, there's a cost associated with it because the person the, the technology who is paying for this nft issuance needs to pay for the cost of that transfer um, and we multiply that by um, the number of token holders. And in this case, uh, I think there, there are uh, 10,000 NFTs. So we need right. to essentially do 10,000 transfers. Right. And, and is that, time, so that's gas fees? Is that what you Yeah. 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 That's right, gas fees. Um, so at the time, Ethereum price was quite high. So it was about $4,000-ish. And to do 10,000 transfers, it was going to cost, you know, in excess of more than $100,000 using right. the traditional norms, right? So um, again, this is about a technologist uh, seeing a technical problem. How do we solve it with technology, right? Yeah. Um, so we were trying to optimize uh, every little thing uh, in a smart contract, you know, changing a number from a, you know, 16-bit number into an 8-bit number. Oh, right. oh wow, to, that, that gets yeah. uh, that detailed. Yeah, trying to do every single thing that you've learned uh, because it's almost like the early days of computing. You have to fit this much code into this much, uh, um, you know, this floppy disk, right? right things right. things like don't exist anymore. But yeah. in this whole, we're still super early in the blockchain smart contract world where we're still in, we're count, we're encountering those problems in terms of um, how do we do something really really efficient. Yeah. So um, we were able to um, reduce the minting cost by 5x, uh, airdrop cost by 5x, um, and that uh, saved substantially um, for, uh, wow. for the project overall. Fantastic. And that was really cool um, yeah. to, to execute. Brilliant. The, um, it's interesting to that idea of, um, you know, constraints often drive innovation. You know, when, mm. when you've got unlimited resourcing, then you don't, don't have the drive for innovation. I, I know so both with Wall Street Bets and Slumdoge, um, much in those particular NFT drops, are talking about they want people to have diamond hands and not paper hands. And so uh, can you just talk a little bit about that? Because it's obviously a, a philosophical thing around that comes from the crypto world and, and comes in the NFT world. Can you just explain to folks, you know, what, what does it mean to have diamond hands versus paper hands and why is that so important? Yeah, um, I, I think uh, supply and demand. Um, I, I think every, a, a lot of people uh, listening to your show probably understand supply and demand. Um, and uh, diamond hands essentially means hold on to your uh, stocks, your tokens, your NFTs 
for as long as possible, uh, riding up and down the waves um, as the market, you know, goes through its high volatility and turbulence. Um, where paper hands is, you know, responding to the um, fear, the uncertainty, the um, what does the D stand for? In, yeah. in fund. Yeah, fear yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's exactly. right. Uh, uh, reacting to that and you know selling short. Um, and I think that uh, because it's such high volatility, it's uh, super low in supply. You know, many of these projects you've got to consider. There's only five thousand, ten thousand, you know, things that. Are sold, so uh, when uh, there are people selling, it triggers more people selling, and therefore it just increases um, supply. And when the demand is uh, demand is finite, and when uh, there are um, active, there's very little attention that people are spending per project. Um, the uh, demand is even more um, small, uh, fewer. So uh, as you have an increase in uh, supply, decrease in demand, the price will fall. And therefore, it will trigger, you know, um, a cascading effect of price falling, right? A negative spiral of that asset. So um, I think uh, all the uh, project founders would encourage you to hold on to the asset rather than, you know, selling. Um, and that's the term, uh, paper hands. Mm -hmm. um, so diamond hands, holding on to the asset as opposed to, uh, selling shop. Yeah, um, it, you know, it's quite a it's quite a strong philosophy, isn't it? You know, it comes back to hodl and so forth within crypto. That um, you know, there's a, there's a belief, there's a long term belief in the community around you know whether it's crypto or whether it's NFTs and so forth that um, that the the trend line is is up and to the right, and so you should hold. It's it's just it's a it's a fascinating proposition to put forward um to i guess potential investors and so forth which is saying you know we want you to hang on i mean every, every company would like that um but uh it's, it's very pronounced and um, maybe just getting you know you talked about markets sort of going up and going down the and the nft world has had it's a little bit of a flattening out recently and so you know the big legacy um NFTs like apes and so forth are holding up well those those uh, those price points, but um, otherwise the sort of market has, has had a little bit of a correction and much has been made of um, the the fellow who bought Jack Dorsey, the Twitter founder's first tweet. He paid two point nine million US for that and then put it up for sale and I think you know got less than sort of ten thousand dollars as a as an offer, so he withdrew it for sale. So a lot of people are pointing to that as oh so so you know he paid three million and um, and can't sell it you know it's not worth three million I mean do you think do you think it is a bubble do you think we've hit sort of peak NFT um, sort of fervor and it'll sort of drop back to being something a little bit more normal or where are we at? Um, it, it's hard to. Um comment on the market uh, as a general because there are, are so many different elements of the market, right? Um, in, in the grand scheme of things, I think we're still super, super early um, in terms of um, where we are uh, with the global audience, uh, the overall art market, the overall bonds market. It's still a tiny fraction of the overall wealth that's in crypto today. So uh, in the grand scheme of things, I think uh, it's still the super early days and there are lots and lots of volatility purely because the market is so small. Um, there are elements of the market, you know, if you're 
um, buying another um, adjective animal type of project, you know, um, uh, board, uh, we, done, you know, monkeys or, you know, uh, whatever. Just right? because it has an animal in it or an ape doesn't mean it's going to be successful. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. Right? So that would be a lead indicator that you shouldn't do it, yeah. Um, I, I mean, uh, that um, there are many different projects uh, that are bubbling and trying to uh, make noise and fighting for your attention. And when that space is very well occupied, um, it's uh, relatively, um, I, I think I have a bit of confidence to say you probably won't do as well as it did last year. Right. Um, but uh, when you have uh, more well-known artists, uh, more uh, uh, artists who have shown success in the past or entrepreneurs that are uh, have a demonstrated track record like Kevin Rose with Proof Collective yep. uh, and recently uh, last night just announced the uh, co-investment from 776, the uh, co-founder of Reddit, um, the $10 million investment into Proof Collective. I think uh, projects with uh, well-known um, uh, individuals who have a demonstrated track record, you know, uh, I, I bet on those projects, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, get rich quick schemes. Probably, you know, uh, it doesn't last forever. Uh, it's still it's still around. We've seen uh, many of these, you know, popping up uh, here and there. But I think the investor maturity is also getting. Um, uh, is actively improving as well. So uh, probably six months ago, I would definitely jump on that you know uh pfp project uh but today you know uh not anymore right because uh i've had my um uh share of losses right. um so yeah uh, i think uh over the past week uh we saw the success of moonbirds and mm -hmm. that's uh you know something that's really really hard to ignore yeah. um generate hundreds yeah. yeah a couple of hundred million hundreds million they raised from that yeah I, last time I checked, uh, more than $200 uh, million that was uh, through transactional volume uh, over the span of days, right? right. And um, that uh, that shows there's still lots and lots of interest uh, in this industry. Um, yeah, uh, interesting market to observe regardless. Yeah. I think one of the things that's critical that you said too is knowing the team. So some of these projects... Um, you know they're anonymous. It's like, I mean, I can't, I can't begin to imagine a world where I would give my money to you know someone who was anonymous. That doesn't seem to make any sense. So, you know, I think that idea of the team. But as we always say with this, we're not giving financial advice. So, uh, <laughs> uh, best wishes to everyone on that. You mentioned artists, um, and obviously we hear a lot of stories about how NFTs. You know, or in it, the NFT technology is a real game changer for digital artists. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, and I know you've done a lot of work with artists and some of the great ones. And, um, you know, what, what, why, why is NFT technology so good for artists? What's the opportunity and how's it, how's it actually panning out? Yeah. Um, we started a, um, a platform called DRP.io, uh, early last year and, um, We've launched a few different collections uh, on the platform uh, to celebrate uh, the artists and also to sell uh, their artwork as NFTs uh, on the platform. Um, and we have a artist, a uh, pretty famous uh, Portuguese street artist um, um, by the name of Vils, uh, launching their mint um, about a couple of weeks from now. 
And uh, he's a street artist that would paint uh, huge murals on the uh, side of a building, then blow the building up and um, <laughs> capturing all of that uh, in, a, uh, uh, in a cohesive art form. And um, doing that from a uh, physical perspective, it's pretty difficult. You need a lot of buildings um, yeah. to have dynamites. You, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, you can't do it every other day, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah no, that's an investment. <laughs> So from a digital production perspective, um, it's certainly a little bit easier uh, if you can uh, monetize your brand or uh, show your perception or perspective uh, through a digital medium. But at the same time, the uh, the quality of art doesn't deteriorate over time. Uh, it's digital. And, and actually, just step back a bit. I, I think we are in this super interesting part of our human history. Uh, transitioning from physical medium, physical art, to digital medium, digital art. Mm. And that transition might be, you know, 50 years, 100 years, right? But we're in that transition right now, literally right now. And uh, so for an emergent artist or for, you know, artists that is the next generation, um, it it might be still important to do art from a traditional, you know, uh, watercolors, oil paintings. Uh, but I think digital medium will be getting better and better and uh, it will probably be a much better medium to work on because it doesn't deteriorate, right? So uh, from artist perspective, there's that uh, medium, there's uh, the longevity of art. Uh, there's also provenance, you know, this artist created this piece of art and has exchanged to uh, hands prior to getting to you. And these are the transaction fees uh, as well as the prices these transactions occurred. So that problem is super interesting. Um, it's just like what we had before, but with, with a receipt off for every single transaction. Yeah. And lastly, the most important thing, I think it's commercials, removing the middleman. So artists can uh, create a voice for themselves. They can uh, participate on Twitter, create a Discord channel, build a community, be vocal, participate in Twitter spaces and, you know, market themselves as opposed to going through a gallery, going through another institution and taking a lion's share of uh, that equation. So uh, being able to capture all of the revenue uh, as opposed to, you know, uh, having somebody else taking the majority of the revenue, I think that's a game changer from an artist's perspective. Yeah. And and I guess the um, the ability to get that the secondary sale percentages as well. So every time exactly your art is on sold, you get a piece of the action. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, so. yeah. Uh, well, one more thing I think uh, we we probably don't see too much of is art. Um, traditionally, has been static. You you draw on the piece of paper and just stays that way. But from a programmatic perspective that art can change. Oh, right. And that's super interesting because you sort of put technology and artistic vision together where you can go, if the uh, weather is turning autumn, um, the uh, leaves on a tree can turn yellow and winter the leaves. So you can create something a bit more dynamic and responding to, you know, for example, crypto prices or, you know, how, how heavy the block is in a blockchain, you know, all yeah. kinds of really interesting things can come this way. And uh, when we talk to artists, it sort of opens up their imagination a bit because it doesn't need to stay now. It can change over time, which yeah. is interesting as a medium as well. We can actually see the Mona Lisa age in, uh, yeah. in real time. No, that's a, 
That's fascinating. I have not I have not thought of that as a possibility, but it's quite right. It, it takes away that static nature of art, doesn't it? It makes it very dynamic. Well, now speaking about one of the great artists, so um, so you're involved in an Elvis NFT. Can you can you tell us anything? I mean, obviously. You know, anything to do with Elvis is uh, is exciting, but uh, are you able to talk us through uh, at all about the Elvis NFT project? Uh, not not too much, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, but I, I, I can confirm uh, we're working on the Elvis Presley NFT launch, um, hopefully in the next month or so. Um, it's a celebration of uh, Elvis Presley, uh, and it's really, really cool. Oh, fantastic. Oh, well, I will... Uh, I'll definitely keep an eye out for that. That sounds brilliant. And I guess, um, you know, just finally, you know, things are very busy with the uh, with the Pella Group. And so, what is there anything in the pipeline that you wanted to talk about? What what, what you're up to, or um, yeah, what's happening? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I spoke about Niels, uh briefly. The Portuguese street yeah. artists. I think that would be a fantastic uh, initiative. Um, we finally launched our um, game with uh, the Red Village uh, guys. Um, so it's a play-to-earn game where uh, the um, collectors can buy NFTs um, as characters and they fight each other. And uh, there's a little bit of wagering uh, as part of that equation. Uh, so that's super exciting to be yeah. working on something so innovative. Um, because not only you, uh, your NFTs are, you know, images, they're 3D characters and they fight each other. And these, uh, characters get uh, experience points and they level up and there's all kinds of, you know, um, possibilities of them, uh, summoning and breeding, you know, other champions. Wow. And, you know, they're all kinds of really interesting dynamics that come out from a gaming perspective. Uh, we're working on two uh, metaverse projects, one based in Thailand uh, with a fairly large conglomerate uh, called the Translucere project. I think that's super, super exciting as well. It defines um, the future of digital economy within a country, and that's uh, as exciting yeah. as it gets. Yeah. Um, but yeah, lots and lots of things going on, and uh, it's super exciting to be uh, uh, in the middle of it all. Fantastic. Well, Roy, thank you very much, I guess, for those listening. Um, if you, uh, if you do need an organisation that's at the top of its game as far as technology and Web3, do reach out to Roy Hugh and the team at Pella. And with that, Roy, um, thank you very much for being so generous with your time. Uh, wish you all the best. I'll keep an eye out certainly for uh, uh, Red Village and also the, uh, the Elvis NFT. So thanks thank very much. So much. Thank you so much. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening to Web3 from Mystery to Main Street. Nothing in this podcast is legal or financial advice. Have a great day. And remember, every organization needs a Web3 strategy.